Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Well, we are going to hear from a few of the Seahawks coordinators for the first time today. Ryan Grubb, Adam Dirty, uh, and, uh, and uh, Jay, not Jay Harbaugh. Uh, yeah, it is Jay Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, Jay Harbaugh. There's so many J names uh, are going to have their introductory press conferences. So those are going to begin um, at 11. We're going to have just notes from Harbaugh because we've got to do four down territory. But if he says anything notable, we'll have that for you guys. Then you guys are going to hear live from Adam Dirty at around 11.15. At 11.30, you're going to hear live from Ryan Grubb. I had someone tweet at me asking, hey, are we going to be able to hear from Ryan Grubb in an interview? I think that'll probably be sometime next week. I don't know if it'll be with us, but you guys will hear more from the OC a little bit later. You can hear from the new Seahawks DC today with us. Adam Dirty is going to be joining Joining us, and so if you guys have questions you want to ask your new DC, you can send those into the Mac and Jack's text line eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Bump, that is where we're getting started. You and I are live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center Seahawks headquarters, where we're going to speak with Adam a little later today. And right now, we're just going to talk about how interesting this three-pronged coaching approach is with defense. We've got Mike McDonald, who's the head coach, obviously, but he's also going to have play calling duties. Then you have Leslie Frazier and Adam Dirty. And I'm trying to figure out how these two other voices are going to fit in here. How do you see it? Um, it all starts with Mike McDonald. We all know that, right? He is the head coach here. He is the defensive coordinator. I look at the Leslie Frazier hire, and uh, a great hire at that, man. This guy's been in the NFL for so long, been a head coach, been an assistant head coach, has been a defensive coordinator. He is there for uh, mentorship and to mm -hmm. uh, be a consultant for Mike McDonald and throw some ideas out there. It's not like Mike McDonald is just going to go to Leslie Frazier when there are issues, right? They're going to uh, collab and kind of get this defense in order. And then you talk about adding dirty. That's the, uh, the interesting one. People are looking at this and say, well, if Mike McDonald is going to call plays, what is adding dirty going to do? He is going to help come up with the game plan. And Mike McDonald made it clear. He said, look, for the first couple of years, I will call the plays. I want to make sure the foundation is set. He's going to lean on Leslie. He's going to lean on Adam Dirty to help that. But then after that, he wants to, to pass the torch, and it seems like Adam Dirty is going to be set up for that. But during the game, the relationship is going to be a bit different. Now, again, Mike's calling the plays. I assume that Dirty is going to be up top looking at personnel, looking mm -hmm. at what the opposition is trying to do, checking the game plan to see what they've done, what they haven't done, what's successful, what's not successful. There's going to be a lot of communication going on. On, on Sundays and throughout the week. So he's, um, he is the defensive coordinator, but he's a play caller in training, but he okay. is still a defensive coordinator. I was looking at other defensive coordinators, uh, excuse me, at other head coaches who called defensive plays and kind of what their situations were like. Levy Smith for a certain time was calling defensive plays. Uh, Brandon Staley was calling defensive plays while having a defensive coordinator on staff. We know that didn't work out well for Staley. Um, you had uh, a couple other folks uh, that have done it in the past. Bill Belichick did it kind of like formally and then informally where right. people were like, we know you're calling plays, even though you're not officially mm -hmm. play caller. Um, but this is going to be a little bit new. I think this is that idea of having a defensive minded head coach calling plays with a defensive coordinator with this assistant coach that's that's also a former defensive coordinator and head coach like this is it's a lot of chefs in the kitchen. Uh, but I think in a good way. Yeah. I think in one of those rare ways that could work out because there's also a very natural hierarchy. There's the experienced veteran who's been there before but knows that he needs to let the new guy have some mm -hmm. space. 
Then there's a head coach who brought in a first-time defensive coordinator that knows that he needs practice and knows that he needs to grow. Like, I don't think you're going to have competing guys here. No, I look at this situation like I look at TLC, right? You got Left Eye, who was the rapper. You got T-Boss, who had a raspy voice, and then Chili was smooth, right? They all contribute in three different ways. I look at Destiny's Child when they broke down a three. Everyone knew Beyonce was was the, the head woman in charge. We but she all had knew. Kelly Rowland and uh, Michelle on the side, right? You find a way to make it work. As long as you know what your role is and you stay in your lane, you should be good to go. But this is going to be a collab, man. And I'm excited. I, I think it's set up perfectly. This is the first time McDonald has been a head coach in the NFL. Um, you, you lean on the guy with experience, but then you're also a mentor at the same time. So Mike is the leader, but he's in the middle. He's going to learn from Leslie. Leslie's going to bless him with some knowledge. But McDonald has also been a coordinator in this league before, so he's going to help mentor um, Ad and Dirty. So, no, I think it's a good situation. I think some people can look at it <laughs> and say, like you said, oh, there's too many chefs in the kitchen. Well, it's like, no, but if mm -hmm. each chef knows what they're good at and understands their role, it could work out. I think it's set up to work in the present, and it's set up to work in the future once Aiden or Adam, excuse me, takes over. Uh, I've The Mac and Jack's text line, I've already had a couple people. It's pronounced Dirty, y'all. Let me remind you, we are at Seahawks headquarters, which means we have been told by Seahawks staff that it is dirty. If that's wrong, you got to take it up with them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me. I've been told that it's dirty, and that's what I'm saying until he corrects me. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's not my decision. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to a little bit of sound here from Mike McDonald. Uh, we'll go to cut number two. This is what led Mike to pick Adam. I think it speaks to the process that we that we came in with the mentality we had about trying to find the best people with the personality and the mindset that we're looking for and the track record. And Aiden came in highly recommended and got on our interview list and and knocked it out of the park when we first sat down. And I'm just listening to him talk about how he sees the game uh, was very similar to how I saw it in terms of what you needed to do to be able to defend offenses um, these days. And, and he had some really interesting perspectives. So we felt like, shoot, we got to get this guy here in person. Brought him in, did a great job, and uh, and it just kind of took off from there. So I uh, I think that he sees obviously a lot of potential. Um, I'm sure that he came highly recommended. <clears throat> if you were John Schneider, you probably got a chance to chat with Dan Quinn a little bit about this guy. I mean, he's been rising up the ranks on the defensive side of things, obviously becoming the first British full-time coach uh, in the NFL, um, now now a first uh, a DC for the first time. Um, I, I'm very, very intrigued by having a lot of new eyes on the defense. And I think that that to me bump is worth the exchange of having potentially some competing voices because there wasn't a lot of challenging happening right. in this past regime. And for a while that was fine because Pete Carroll knew exactly what he was doing and was coaching up, you know, future hall of famers, but then things changed and this defense has been awful. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying it frankly oh, it's yeah. been pretty bad yeah it's been bad and um what fresh eyes do it, it brings you a, a different perspective once you think that you got golf figured out stacy that's when your game goes down the drain same thing with football you never just have it all figured out because there's always someone on the other side of the football whether it be a coordinator or a head coach 
that are going to try some things and challenge what you're trying to do. That is football, right? Where can I exploit the offense? Where can I exploit the defense? And can I do it in a way that they're not prepared for or haven't seen a lot of? Now, there are also fundamentals in football, right? I mean, simple things. You need X amount of guys on the line of scrimmage. A cover two is this. A cover three is that. But then it's the little things that a coach adds to to the recipe that spices it up a little bit. So that's what I think young and fresh eyes are going to do with this defense. They might look at the same lineup from last year and see something completely different than Clint Hurt and Pete Carroll saw. Not to say that Clint Hurt and Pete Carroll were not good coaches, but they saw the game the way that they see it. Mm -hmm. So when you get rid of a head coach, you bring all these other eyes in, these other um, football minds, and they come together, they're going to have interesting conversations. They will still have some of the same conversations that have been had over the years of football. But every now and then, someone brings a little spice to the dish, and it jazzes it up a little bit, and they see things different. I'm curious to know what um, Dirty's more formal role will be, and I don't know that they'll have all of that ironed out by the time we interview him later today. You know what I mean? Right. I, I'm sure that he'll be asked at his press conference, which we will be airing before he joins us, uh, and, and then we'll try to find some questions that uh, that maybe didn't make it to him in the press conference to be able to ask him. Mm-hmm. At some point, either in the press conference or with us, it's going to be asked, hey, what is your role if you're not calling plays? Like, you know, like, how's that going to work with McDonald? Um there are many head coaches who call plays offensively, so it's not like that that is un, unheard of at all. But I, I wonder if they're looking at him as like X's and O's or culture guy. Um, like, are you the leader or are you going to be like our, you know, tactician? He is a leader amongst leaders. Yeah. In, in a football, on a, a football team, in an organization, it always starts at the top with the head coach. It actually starts with ownership and then obviously the GM and then it goes down to the head coach. Um, but then the culture that the head coach wants – is going to be reflected in his offensive coordinator, defensive coordinators, and then it's going to be reflected to his assistant coaches. So to ask if Dirty's going to be the culture guy, I don't think so. I think he is going to fit into what Mike McDonald wants. It's his job to be an example of the culture. I don't think he's necessarily saying this is what we're going to be. No, that's up to the head coach. So that's what you do when you hire guys. You hire guys that are similar in some ways with culture and beliefs and integrity, all the things that Mike McDonald talks about. But then you also hire guys that you feel like will add to your culture. So obviously with him being from England, having the journey that he's gone through, um, was uh, in the Bill Walsh Diversity Program in 2016 and 2018, mm-hmm. uh, quality control with the Atlanta Falcons and, and, and got, worked his way all the way up. He's going to bring some things to the culture, but ultimately it has to be a reflection of what Mike McDonald wants. I agree. Like you want someone to uh, – one of the things that we wondered when people Pete Carroll was here and it seemed like that message wasn't getting through was, okay, where is it bottlenecking and where is it stopping? Because the head coach isn't popping into every single meeting room, talking Mm -hmm. face-to-face with every single guy on his team. It's just not feasible. You have to have assistant head coaches and coordinators who know how to relay your message. And when you and I first spoke with Mike McDonald, the day of his introductory press conference, we were like, hey, so we didn't know any of the coordinators. What are you looking for in guys? Mm -hmm. And the number one thing he said was guys who, who can be clear. Guys who can communicate a message and who can make sure that players understand everything. Why is that so important? Because you're a teacher. You know, the best (laughs) coaches I ever had were great communicators and teachers, right? Um, The best professors I ever had were the ones who communicated clearly and adjusted their message so they were able to connect with as many students as possible. That's what a coach does. Uh, Me being a coach for 14 years now, 
I can't talk to the quarterback I have now the same way I, I spoke to my very first quarterback. My very first quarterback is my, was Michael Conforto, who's in uh, the majors right now. You can go so hard on Michael Conforto, right. and he's just built different, right? Obviously, he's making millions of dollars in, in, the, in the league. But there are quarterbacks in between that to where, okay, I got to bring on, I got to nurture a bit more, but I still have to get my message across and make sure that that quarterback is still relaying the message that I want, but in a way that allows him to be himself. So it's a, it's a simple but complicated science at the same time. The best coaches demand the most and get the most out of their players. And how do they do that? With clear communication. Now, Obviously, um, Bill Belichick communicates a bit different than Pete Carroll. Mike McDonald might communicate a bit different than, uh, than Jim Harbaugh. But at the end of the day, it's all the same. Communicate your message, get your guys to perform, and uh, put them in positions to have success. What are you uh, most curious to learn from Adam today? Um, or to, to ask him. Some things will be limited in what he can say. I just want to know how he fits in this. Me like too. Because – He's had an interesting journey, right? I mean, we haven't seen this before. And now you are the defensive coordinator of the Seahawks. How does all the things that you've learned over the years mesh with what Mike McDonald wants? And how quickly did you feel like, okay, this is going to be uh, the right place for me? So just uh, just getting to know him, honestly, and, and then hearing about how he views defense because we we spoke to mike mcdonald he talks about chasing edges and uh being fundamentally sound saying all the right things mm -hmm. and um i just want to see how he fits in how he feels he fits in uh i'm really curious to ask him uh, in addition to that because i want to know kind of how he fits and you're right like what he sees as his role uh i'm curious to know what he wants from a defense i think that um you know, we're always going to hear a lot of the same things. Most defensive coordinators are going to want guys who are physical and aggressive. And, mm -hmm. but I think that, um, it's always, it's still always interesting to hear a defensive coordinator, to hear a defensive coach talk about what he values in players and what he looks for in players, even though he's going to be inheriting a huge chunk of the roster, the Seahawks aren't going to go out and rebuild this thing. Right. What do you value about these guys? What are you going to try to pull out from them most? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's going to help us understand what he and who he wants to be like can you imagine witherspoon taking another step like he's going to it's inevitable because right. he's a rookie but imagine the way that mike mcdonald and Adam are looking at devin witherspoon and the things they see in him and the positions they're going to put him in that maybe clint hurts and pete carroll's philosophy didn't allow them to do mm -hmm. imagine how they view a daryl taylor do they look at him and say this is a guy that we need back this year because i see him in this defense and the things that he can do uh, fresh perspective, man. That's always great. It's almost like, man, every time I, I, I send out a tweet or most times because I'm the typo king, I will jack a tweet up. I will jack a text message up. If my wife is standing next to me, I just hand her the phone and be like, read this. Yep. What do you see? Yeah. How Am I saying this correctly? Am I clearly <laughs> communicating? Yeah. And sometimes she'll hand it over to me and be like, perfect. And sometimes she'll be like, oh, I would say this or I would do that and she'll edit it for me. That's that's what this is right now. Right? The the phone has been handed over to Mike McDonald, to Dirty, to Frazier, to Grubb, and they're saying, alright, man, this was the tweet that we had from last year. How, how would you rearrange this to make it yours and make it make sense? What we are never going to get from, and understandably, I would not give this information if I were them, from Mike McDonald and Adam Dirty is how they truly feel about a couple players that some Seahawks fans might be over because they've been struggling of late. Right. I wish, and we'll never get it. <clears throat> no one will get it today. I wish that we can hear like 
Adam or Mike McDonald's completely unfiltered thoughts on someone like Jamal Adams. Right. Because it would tell us, are they behind the scenes trying to convince John Schneider we got to find a way to keep this guy? Mm-hmm. Or if they told him, I don't need this guy. Well, there there's a way to get an answer, but you're never going to get right. the candid answer. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll try our best to, to get some type of answer a for names. stuff like that. You mentioned Daryl Taylor. He's one of them. Right. But like Daryl Taylor, Jamal Adams – um, Jordan Brooks, who's, who's been great, but obviously about to be a free agent. So it's like, I would love to know if there are guys on this roster that we think we have our minds made up on them because we've seen them in the same defense mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Does a fresh set of eyes see them differently? Oh, for do sure. Do they see different potential yeah. or do they see someone that's ready to move on? Mm-hmm. That's what I would love to know. That's good. I mean, it's, it's good for us too, right? Yeah. For what you just mentioned, it's because we've been watching this team. I've been covering this team for seven, eight years now. You've been doing it longer than that. And, um, you know, when you have the same group of guys pretty much for the last, what, two to three seasons, uh, you think you know who they are. Exactly. Uh, because we've spoken to them. We can pretty much guess how their answers are going to be. We can we understand that DK is going to be an aggressive player on the field. We understand that Bobby was going to be like the silent leader, but but uh, intense at the same time. Now it's it's going to be refreshing to hear the mm-hmm. way they view these guys. So that's what I'm most excited about, how they view them and how they use them. And you, we have many examples, most recently Mike McDonald in, in Baltimore as D.C., of them rejuvenating careers for certain guys. With right. him, it was Jadavion Clowney, who had a career year at like 30 years old or mm-hmm. something, his fifth stint, his fifth team. Um, so we'll see what happens with those players as we move on throughout the offseason. We're not going to get those answers, but got it. it. It's a really fascinating twist and edge to these new coaches. Let's get to headline rewrites. Extra, extra, Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey. Headline number one, horrible tragedy yesterday in Kansas City as 22 people were injured and one person died during a mass shooting at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. What's the real headline? When is enough enough? I don't have a joke about it. I don't have anything funny to say. I know that we typically have headlines that we make fun of with headline rewrites. This is more of seeing it and going... What's the real story? Yeah, the real story is there There was a tragic death and 22 injuries at this event. But the real story is also, what do you do about these places that are supposed to be celebratory and fun and family-friendly that now see all kinds of violence? Here's the reality of that situation is that um, I don't think you're ever going to be able to control a million people, right? And essentially, that's what they said we're at that parade. About yeah. a million people were there. Whenever you get a million people, there's going to be 100,000 dumb you-know-whats over there. And um, it's unfortunate. That's the risk that you take when you put humans together because we're, we're smart, but we're dumb at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a politician. Uh, I don't I, I think people have their rights and, and you do what you do with that. But when you keep seeing the same thing happening, happening and nothing has changed, then why would you expect a different result? This type of stuff changes the way that I move with my family. I'm always on alert when I'm with my babies, when I'm with my wife, because I know that this is a possibility. And I think that's in, in every country. I did, a, I did a bunch of reading last night about mass shootings and all that. We're not the only ones who have this go down, um, but it happens often here. So, uh, man, what do you do? Couldn't tell you, Stacey. Uh, yeah. But I do know that it's unfortunate, and you should be able to enjoy a parade with your family and not have to worry about if you're coming back or not. Now, I do want to say as part of this um, that there was some, I don't even want to say good news, but like powerful news to come from this. Um, There was apparently a number of Chiefs fans who chased down and tackled one of the shooters and took his gun from him 
which I thought was really brave. Mm -hmm. uh, also from Albert Breer, a number of Chiefs players were comforting some really scared children and families that were near them. Because the Chiefs, while it was the end of the parade, there were still a lot of players that were around. Um, so Albert Breer tweeted out, excuse me, um, that uh, a couple players, including uh, Trey Smith uh, and uh, Blaine Gabbert, were calming panic kids. He said that Trey Smith went to one upset kid, gave him a WWE title belt, and sat with him until he calmed down. Um, I just think it's, we always talk about, you know, hey, athletes should be pillars in the community, and you get a lot of practice doing that, even as a young athlete. And this is an example of trying to meet the moment and comfort people who needed it badly at the time. Yeah, and, and you know, so love out to the, the young lady who lost her life and exactly, her family. Exactly, yeah. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, after he helped lead the 49ers defense all the way to the Super Bowl, defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes was surprisingly let go by Kyle Shanahan on Wednesday. What's the real headline? If Mahomes became the GOAT, I think we know who became the scapegoat. Oh, okay. 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 Bars. Bars for <laughs> um, show. I saw a tweet yesterday from a 49ers uh, blogger, so obviously he's watching these games much more closely than I did, and he said... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but you can tell who did and didn't watch every 49ers game by who's shocked by the Steve Wilkes news, mm. implying that if you really watch the games, this doesn't surprise you. Well, here's the thing. He took some chances throughout the season. He did. There are some times where if you play Madden football, he went engaged, ate, and sent everybody um, in some certain situations. Now, I think as a defensive coordinator, you have to calculate your risks, right? And I think that uh, he rolled the dice a few times and it bit him in the butt. But I'm also like, all right, man, well, you don't want a defense that just sits back and mm -hmm. it doesn't apply pressure. So, look, I think that there are definitely some decisions made that rubbed that organization the wrong way. I also look at the stats. I look at the performance in a whole. I look at them getting to the Super Bowl and I'm saying, all right, man. I've, I've, uh, I understand why you would let him go, but I also look at it and I go, did he deserve to be let go? I think you're right. He is a scapegoat. Did he call a perfect season? No, nor did Kyle Shanahan. That's part of football. It was kind of like a learning opportunity for both parties. Uh, it sounds like from David Lombardi, uh, maybe one of the issues uh, is that when Wilkes came here, he wasn't allowed to add to his coaching staff, that the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan thought our system and our coaches and everything we have is so strong, we're just going to bring in this defensive coordinator and he's just going to adapt because we have this great foundation around him. Well, maybe for uh, Wilkes, you know, he could have used one or two of his guys and, and he could mm -hmm. have implemented it. It sounds like there was a bit of a meeting in the middle for these two parties that resulted in, for them, a subpar season defensively. Mm -hmm. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, EA Sports released their first trailer for their first college football game in 10 years. What's the real headline? If you're wondering why your boyfriend or husband is so happy this morning, it's not because yesterday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> I was also going to say thoughts and prayers to those who are about to lose their partners for a couple days at a time here. Now, it's not coming out yet. Uh, this summer, though. This summer, let me tell you what. You, There are people who will not see sunlight for days this summer because no, of this And that's game. okay. We don't hey. judge them. <laughs> Stacey, do, we, do we not judge them? Stacy, watch this. I think those people deserve judgment. Watch this. Yeah. Curtis. Yeah. EA Sports. It's in the game. Let's go. Let's go. Remember when I said, what's that EA Sports thing? And you guys both at the same time. It's in the game. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, that's not what I was talking about. The amount of NIL money I am dishing out oh, to these God. 
computer generated players, it's going to be absurd. <laughs> You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, we talked about one coordinator. Let's talk about the other. Ryan Grubb is going to be on an island, but is that a good thing? That's next. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airline Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Well, we opened the show, Bump, talking about the three-pronged approach to the defensive staff. Obviously, with Mike McDonald as your head coach, but also your defensive play caller, with Adam Dirty as your defensive coordinator, and with Leslie Frazier as your assistant head coach, though from the defensive side of the ball, who will most certainly be acting as a mentor and confidant for Mike McDonald. That is a lot lot of voices on the defensive side of things trying to make sure that you can really turn this thing around and that's fantastic meanwhile on the offensive side of things you've got ryan grubb on a bit of an island he's going to be a first-time nfl offensive coordinator and while he will have the support of mike mcdonald as the head coach uh and obviously of all of his offensive coaching staff he is gonna be on his own in a way that uh, that Adden and Mike McDonald and Leslie Frazier just aren't by virtue of their defensive background and kind of working together to turn things around. Now, maybe Ryan Grubb is going to absolutely love that, but it does add, I think, kind of a unique challenge. As of now, he's on an island by himself. Right. Because you're going to hire a quarterback coach. You yep. got your own line guy already. Yep. You're going to hire a receiver coach, a running back coach. But um, you're right, at the top of the, uh, the totem pole, he, he is kind of by himself. Uh, Mike McDonald, like you mentioned, has Leslie Frazier and uh, Adam Dirty to, to kind of lean on. Here's the things that Ryan Grubb has done. He has installed his offense. He has organized practice. He has been a leader of young men. He has called games in pressure situ- situations. Mm-hmm. He's made tough calls. Fourth and one, Apple Cup. Thank you, Grubb. <laughs> it was a great uh, call. <laughs> it was a great call. It was a great call. can't even hate on it, but I can hate on it. And um, so those are the things that he has done. It's not like being a coordinator in college is drastically different than being a coordinator in the NFL in those ways. In other ways, it might be you're dealing with uh, grown men who are getting paid more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a different administration or management upstairs. You're not you're not doing grade checks. You don't have to recruit. So it is different in, in some ways. But when it comes down to the essence of being an offensive coordinator, there are things that he did at University of Washington, at Sioux Falls, at Fresno State, everywhere he was at, that he's going to do in the NFL. Only difference is he will call games on a Sunday, dealing with different type of personnel. And uh, maybe there's more pressure to win right now in the NFL than there is or was in college football. So, um, yeah, man, he's by himself right now. But um, I think he's he's ready for this opportunity. And if John Schneider and Mike McDonald did not think he was ready for this opportunity, he wouldn't get it. So, But let me reiterate, man, he's going to have his failures like any coach is going mm-hmm. to have throughout the season. Um, but it's going to be fun to watch how he evolves. Um, as a coordinator and as a play caller. Well, there's another person who has a lot of faith in him, Yogi Roth. And cut number six, take a listen to him talking about Grubb's adjustment to the NFL. Yeah, I think there'll be some subtle adjustments. Every coach that either goes to the NFL or comes from the NFL, in my experience, references the hash marks. And it just being, you know, it takes a minute just to get used to. Usually it's a lot more challenging going to college versus going to the NFL for obvious reasons, just based on the width when you get to college. So I would never say it's going to be seamless and he's not going to skip a beat. I mean, he's going to a place that is the pinnacle of the profession. So, you know, no, it won't, it won't be as easy as maybe it looked at UW at times, but knowing him and the way that he works and his personality and the staff that they're going to have and 
what they'll add to. I think that he's going to be very successful. What does success look like for Grubb? In year one, and you can choose any route you want. Like for me, Bump, it would be obviously having an offense uh, that doesn't have a lot of regression, but I would love to see him, even though we've all been talking about him having to adjust to running more, I'd love to see him take advantage of Lockett and DK for however much longer we have these two together. Like we've always lamented that the Seattle offense compared to the 49ers or sometimes Rams can't quite get wide receivers in space quite as often. In my version of a really successful year for Grubb, they just find ways to do that more often. Yeah. Um, what we speak to yesterday, Lance Zerline, mm-hmm. and he mentioned that in that UW offense, he was impressed with how they were able to push the ball down the field. Part of the reason why is because they had three receivers that were better than most DBs um, when you're out there. You also had a quarterback who was confident in making those tough throws. So that's something that – you're going to gamble and take your chances in the NFL, but you're going to have to play against a Snead type of player, a McDuffie, who I, I loved up yesterday. Yeah. Just the talent is uh, – the gap isn't as big as it used to be. So there, there's going to be some adjustments there. Yogi makes a great point, too, when I'm listening to him. The hash marks are different, man. In college, the hash marks are wider apart. Um, you can influence boundary and field a bit more. In the NFL, it's a bit tighter, so I wonder how that affects his play calling. But um, the main thing is he has to be himself, right? Mm-hmm. We look at Grubb and that UW offense. It was an aggressive offense. It was, look, we will run the football. Don't trip. We got a 1,000-yard runner in the backfield, but we're going to take our shots. It's going to be second and two, second and one, third and one, and we'll bomb it down the field 25, 20 yards because we are aggressive. How aggressive is he going to be with this group in the NFL? Uh, that's uh, that's something I'm looking forward to seeing how he sorts some things out. But the main thing is he has to be himself. Mm-hmm. Being himself got him in the situation he's in now as being the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. And if, uh, if they didn't like his aggressive play calling, he wouldn't be here. So something tells me that – DK Lockett and JSN are going to get their targets down the field. Do you think how I don't really know uh, the relationship between DeBoer and Grubb, other than obviously they're close, and, and DeBoer would have loved to take Grubb to Alabama and certainly tried to. Do you think that a lot of what we saw from Washington's offense was DeBoer with some oversight there, mm-hmm. or do you think that Grubb is that that's reflective of Grubb's capabilities? I think DeBoer's fingerprints are on that. I think that's. Um, by the time they reached the national championship game, DeBoer didn't have the influence that he probably had six years ago when they were at a different university. There's a reason why DeBoer said, Grub, wherever I go, you're going with me because DeBoer was the uh, the manufacturer of this offense, but you had Grubb as the, the executor of the offense. And if you've been in so many places that they've been together and had all the success that they've had, um, that relationship is working and being a head coach, you got so many other things to worry about that. It must've been a great feeling for DeBoer to still have influence on the offense, but to say, okay, Grub, you go ahead and, and do your thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, uh, Kalen DeBoer was hands off in the national championship at that point, but he ain't hovering around the way he used to maybe six, seven years ago. I have a fun exercise for us. Now I know it's like early for a lot of people for exercise. This is a mental exercise, so don't worry. Um, We're going to put a bow on the 2024 NFL season, and and we might even 
talk about this if we don't cover all of our bases a little later today because you and I love this topic. Um, but we're going to spend just 10 minutes on it coming up here. So my challenge for you, Bump, for me and for listeners who can join this on the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776, is to answer one of the following questions about the 2024 NFL season. What were you right about? What were you most wrong about? What were you most surprised by? And then you and I will talk about where the Hawks fit moving forward. You don't have to answer all those questions, but if you have a thought that for you puts a bow on the 2024 NFL season, hey, I was so wrong about this team, Mm -hmm. or I learned this about the NFL, or this player is going to be a star, and I didn't realize that in September of 2023. Those are the kinds of conversations we're going to have. I cannot wait to jump into this conversation. We're having it next. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Well, the 2024 NFL season is over and we're putting a bow on the season. So let's talk about what surprised you most, a team you were most wrong about, a superstar in the making and more. Um, I asked you guys on the Mac and Jack's text line just to maybe send in an answer to one of those. But Bump, I'm going to turn to you uh, first. Um, You can choose anyone to answer to, maybe a team you were most wrong about, uh, a team that really surprised you, um, a superstar that has a big future ahead that you maybe wouldn't have been thinking of back in September what stands out um I'm gonna pat myself on the back and go with what I was right about okay is it gonna be Tank Dell it's not Tank. okay but you were right about Tank. I was right about Tank um Russell Wilson I thought he'd have a better season this year I thought there's no way he only throws 16 touchdowns and 11 interceptions like he did the year before you look at his um completion percentage was 60.5 last year was 66.4 this year he didn't throw for as many yards as he did last year, but he also didn't have the same amount of attempts. But he took care of the football. There was no way I was going to watch Russell Wilson be, only have 16 touchdowns, the lowest in his career, and have 11 interceptions, the second most in his career. There's no way. So, um, you know, I, I looked at Russell, and after that first year, I could stop praying on his downfall because we benefited from that. He got the picks from mm-hmm. Denver. But this year I go, Russell Wilson is resilient. He's a hard worker. He's going to make sure that he's prepared. There was no way he was going to have the same type of season now he did have some issues with the new head coach over there right you mm-hmm. did go through some things and uh, they're not on the same page and I don't expect him to be a Denver Bronco next year but he did have a better season I know it's not the big splash maybe that you guys were were, were thinking about when it came to what we got right or what I got right this yeah. year but I was happy I got this right because um say what you want about Russell he's a good dude and uh, did a lot for this organization. I was happy to see him have somewhat of a bounce-back season. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing I was right about. That's a really good one. I was right uh, – let's see, what was I right about? I was right in that the uh, the 49ers would be good. That's not unique. Uh, welcome to, like, everyone else in the NFL. Uh, I was wrong about the Eagles. I mm. thought that the Eagles mm. – might have some regression. I mean, God, like you're moving on from both coordinators who were hired out to be head coaches with separate teams. Um, You uh, have lost some defensive players in particular to free agency, but they were just in a Super Bowl. They had the key pieces still there, like A.J. Brown and Jalen, obviously head coach Nick Sirianni, some other key defensive players. And I thought, and then they start like 10 and one. And you're looking at the stats when they were, you know, off to, uh, you know, their start to the season. And you're thinking this doesn't quite add up. Right. Like the stats don't look like mm-hmm. a 9-10 win team. Stats look like a team that is that should have some more losses. Right. 
Um, but I still thought, you know, like, hey, they're going to – I thought the Eagles would be, you know, pretty deep into the playoffs. I was, I was very wrong about just how much that defense would regress. Right. Um, I was wrong about Geno. I thought Geno would duplicate what he did last year. Yeah. I thought 30 touchdowns, what, 9 to 10 interceptions. I thought that was very doable. Um, I thought that um, he would get it done. I thought he would um, correct all the things that he did last year. Now, it's not just Geno. His performance is connected to offensive line play. We saw the bodies on that line. But um, I thought Geno would would have another 30 touchdowns and X amount of interceptions and hover around 68% completion rate because he looked in control a lot of the times last year. What he did do this year was produce more game-winning drives. So um, even though he did not have the numbers that uh, he had last year that I thought he'd be able to duplicate, he did win more games when it comes to that final drive. Ended up with the same record, though, 9-8, and and did not make the playoffs. But no, I was wrong about Geno being able to duplicate. I still think that he can. I think that there are other factors when it comes to Geno. It could be the scheme, the play calling, the availability of offensive linemen, not having your running back um, every single game like you wanted to, miss DK for a game. There are so many other factors that go into a quarterback's performance, right? But when you talk about things that I was wrong about, I got to go to Geno and say, all right, he did not put up the same numbers I thought he would this year like he did last year. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, speaking of Geno, from the Mac and Jack's text line, we had a couple other listeners text in, you know, things I learned from the 2024 season, things I was wrong about um uh, the 206 said uh the hawks defense was worse than i thought it would be so i was wrong about that Mm -hmm. Uh, i like this though because it's like a holistic picture on the season um from the 206 what i learned is just how critical quarterback depth is to a team 2024 was effectively the year of the backup quarterback and i learned that you and your backup decision your backup decision is almost as important as your qb1 decision so yes the two teams that were in the Super Bowl did not lose their starters, mm-hmm. right? They were also two of the healthiest teams. You look at the Bengals. You look at the Colts. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like There were a number of teams around the league that lost their starters this year or were down to a backup or were down to a third. And few teams did what the Browns did, which is what got Kevin Stavansky head coach of the year, which was to make it to the playoffs despite losing multiple starters. Right. This was absolutely a year of the backup quarterback. How many times were we like, Thursday night football, get ready. It's uh, – it's going to be Mitch Trubisky against, <laughs> you know, against uh, Aiden O'Connell or whoever, you know, whoever's going to be out right. there. It's, it, it definitely was a year of the backup quarterback for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at teams that play with their backups, the Patriots, the Jets. The Titans had like five guys out there, it seemed like, at one point. Um, the Saints, we saw Jameis, I believe, a little bit this year. The Vikings lose Kirk Cousins. Yeah, um, the year of the backup quarterback mm-hmm. for sure. I wouldn't say it's as important as your your starting quarterback, but it's important to have a guy that kind of resembles your your starter and can do some of the things he that can he can't do. You always look at the Baltimore Ravens. I go, they keep a generic Lamar Jackson over there. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, RG3 was backing up Lamar at mm-hmm. some point. So, uh, yeah, finding uh, some similarities between your starter and your backup for show. How about new stars? Putting a bow on the 2024 season. Who's got a bright future ahead? People we just didn't think we'd be talking about, uh, you know, when they debuted back in September, maybe even October if they got a late start. Now, I'm cheating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I knew that we would all be talking about the number two pick in the draft, C.J. Stroud. I did not expect C.J. to have the year he did, nor the Texans to have the year they did. So that was, to me, both biggest surprise, but also the who's got a big future answer. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, My biggest surprise, I went with a team. 
Um, I narrowed it down to two teams, Tampa Bay and the Rams. Yes. Oh, my God. The way the Rams started the season, I go, there's no way they're going to make the nope. playoff. J.B. Long comes on the, the pregame show and goes, simmer down, guys. They're three and six, but they're going to make the playoffs. We all laughed at them. Yep. I sent J.B. Long an apology and saying, <laughs> I was wrong, homie. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because you never really know what you're going to get out of Baker Mayfield. You know yeah. he's capable of good moments and good games. But to have him have his career resurrected over there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, lead them into the playoffs, was fun to watch. Canales is gone. I'm interested to see how he responds there. Now, we talk about players. It's easy for me. It's Puka. Who oh, the God. Who, that was right in front of me. Who the heck is Puka? Like, I heard the name, UW, BYU. I get it. And then we, we start the season and Cooper Cup is out. Yeah. And then the first couple of series, number 17, is running across the middle of the field. I go, who's this kid again? Yeah. And after that first game, I go, well, it's because Cooper Cup's not there. And we'll see what happens when he comes back. Puka did not stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Bad boy, take that. Uh, My dude had himself an excellent season. I'll throw in, you mentioned McDuffie with the Chiefs. I'll throw in Sam Laporta, tight end yeah, with the Lions, yeah. who had a great season. Both Tank Dell and Nico Collins with the Texans. Now guys that we're all keeping an eye on. Like, there were so many Jerome guys. Bland. Yes, yes. There were so DB, many guys Cowboys. who emerged this year. I mean, obviously for Seattle, we're all looking at, um, you know, Devin Witherspoon. We're so excited about him. Um, but there were guys that also caught me off guard. Like, I was expecting that I would be watching every snap from Devin Witherspoon, the number five overall pick, and also mm -hmm. a pick here in Seattle. I was not expecting I would be as glued to Texans games watching uh, Dell and Collins. Obviously, Dell ended up being hurt, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there was uh, – there are other names that I'm certainly missing. But uh, there were lots Z of fun players. Zay Flowers has a big future. Yeah. Great route runner um, now. Just protect the football at the end of the game. Right. He might be in the Super Bowl, but yeah, I like Zay Flowers too. Yeah, there were some fun players this year. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, all right, you are listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Another player we're going to talk about coming up in Fort Down Territory. How about a conversation about Justin Fields? That's next. Don't go anywhere.